The Hamlet Podcast, episode 158. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Conor Hanrity. Last time we reached the landmark of Hamlet's speech to the skull of Yorick, the jester that used to make jokes at his father's court when he was a child. Just as he was putting the skull back on the ground, perhaps more gently than the manner in which the gravedigger dislodged it, he was beginning to wonder if even Alexander the Great might have come to smell like this. Horatio, always there with a calm answer, replies, E'en so, my lord. Most likely, even Alexander, reputed to have smelled so lovely, would eventually have come to this. We see the wheels of Hamlet's prodigious imagination begin to turn again. To what base uses may we return, Horatio, why, may not imagination trace the noble dust of Alexander till he find it stopping a bunghole? Hamlet is intrigued at the way death reduces us, to what base uses we may return, just how little will be left of us and how humble those remains will be. Base uses gives a sense of just how little we'll be good for after we're gone. He's suggesting that with imagination we can chart out how Alexander went from being so great but then was reduced to dust, and presumably now that dust is used for little more than stopping the mouth of a barrel. A bunghole is the hole in a barrel from which you draw liquid, and the hole is sealed up with a stopper called a bung, so bunghole. Why may not imagination trace the noble dust of Alexander till he find it stopping a bunghole? This seems to be a little bit too much for Horatio, and he finally gets to say a little more than yes Hamlet, or no Hamlet, or e'en so Hamlet, and he says, "'Twere to consider too curiously to consider so.' He's saying, I think you're taking your considerations a little bit too far into the curious or even the perverse. Unsurprisingly, Hamlet has more to say. No, faith, not a jot, but to follow him thither with modesty enough and likelihood to lead it. As thus, Alexander died, Alexander was buried, Alexander returneth into dust. The dust is earth, of earth we make loam, and why of that loam, whereto he was converted, might they not stop a beer barrel? Not at all, Hamlet says, no faith, not a jot. Considering this course isn't too curious, but rather it's an attempt to follow him thither with modesty enough and likelihood to lead it. Hamlet isn't trying to be disrespectful, so much as to trace the likelihood of what happened to Alexander after death. Imagination, modesty, and likelihood. As thus, and so Hamlet charts the course of poor Alexander all the way from death and burial to turning to dust and earth, and then that earth or clay becomes loam, which is a kind of clay that was used to make plaster, and then that plaster could be moulded to become a bung for a bung hole. Or as Hamlet phrases it, Alexander died. Alexander was buried, Alexander returneth into dust. The dust is earth, of earth we make loam, and why of that loam, whereto he was converted, might they not stop a beer barrel? Hamlet continues this thinking with what sounds a little bit like a quotation. Imperious Caesar, dead and turned to clay, might stop a hole to keep the wind away. Oh, that that earth, which kept the world in awe, 
should patch a wall to expel the winter floor. Just as Alexander was reduced to stopping a barrel, Julius Caesar here is left to patch a wall in Hamlet's fantasy. These rhyming lines sound like another snippet of a song, rather in the same style as the gravedigger's songs and rhymes earlier in the scene. Some editors have suggested that perhaps it's Hamlet making it up on the spot. Either way, it's a further expansion of the idea. This time it's Julius Caesar who kept the world in awe when he was alive on earth. He's now died and turned eventually to clay, and that clay has been used to stop a hole, to patch a wall and keep the wind away. There's a grisly little reminder here of another play. Shakespeare had his own version of Julius Caesar on his mind when he wrote Hamlet, as we've seen in various other references to the Julius Caesar play. Caesar was stabbed to death by a whole group of men, and indeed in the play Shakespeare makes much of all the holes that this stabbing produced. He's even called a bleeding piece of earth, and now that earth itself is used to plug a hole in a wall. But there's even more going on than that bleak little reference. We've had about 200 lines of speech in this scene so far, between Hamlet, Horatio and the gravediggers. All of it has been in prose, since it makes more sense for the clowns to speak that way and for Hamlet to match them. At this exact point, Hamlet switches back into verse. This four lines about Imperius Caesar are almost sing-songy, as though they come from somewhere else, but it's also a bridge back into the standard mode of communication in court. As Hamlet concludes his line about Winter's flaw, there's movement, more people are entering, So he hurries to hide himself with Horatio. But soft, but soft, aside, here comes the king. Clearly he's telling himself rather than Horatio to be quiet, since Horatio doesn't have nearly as much to say. But still he does it in blank verse. Very gently, almost imperceptibly, Shakespeare is retuning our ears to be ready for the seriousness and the blank verse that will follow. Obviously, there's never going to be an indicator on stage saying, now we are speaking in verse again, take note. But these switches are never accidental. As well as whatever noise prompts Hamlet's line, the stage directions here indicate that the procession now enters. We hope that the gravedigger has finished his job, because it's time for the funeral. Presumably, the procession is led by a priest, although he isn't actually mentioned, And then we have the body of Ophelia, followed by Claudius, Gertrude, Laertes and some mourners. Among them, it is probably helpful to mention, should be Osric, because when he gets to speak for himself later in the play, he is going to mention things that he needs to hear on stage in this scene. Osric is a new character, perhaps, and we will talk about him in more detail later, but for now, do be sure to include him in your version of this scene. Hamlet and Horatio manage to hide themselves, but still get a good look at this modest cortege as it enters, and Hamlet gives us some rather useful commentary. The Queen, the courtiers, who is this they follow, and with such maimed rites? This doth betoken the corpse they follow did with desperate hand fordo its own life. Twas of some estate. Couch we a while and mark. Hamlet is wondering whose body it might be. Interesting that he mentions the Queen and courtiers, but not Claudius at all. 
Immediately, he's struck by these maimed rites. Whatever Shakespeare knew of Danish funerals, he would have known that in Elizabethan court life, funerals were quite stately, with choirs and singing, and considerably more pomp than this circumstance. Obviously, it's more practical to have a reduced version on stage rather than a full-on parade that'll interrupt proceedings. But more than that, it's interesting that Hamlet immediately recognises these signs. From almost the beginning of his first soliloquy, Hamlet has been thinking about, and talking to us about, suicide. This first impulse that he mentions is thwarted by his own knowledge that the Everlasting has fixed his canon against self-slaughter. In other words, suicide is a sin and will be punished. So now, here, Hamlet sees immediately that this funeral is perhaps for someone who did end their own life, and therefore the ceremony is significantly reduced. This doth betoken the corpse they follow did, with desperate hand, fordo its own life. Hamlet can tell almost instantly. Hamlet and Shakespeare gently avoid assuming that the body was male or female, just that these maimed rites tell a rather clear story, to Hamlet's mind at least. Certainly he's able to assume that it was someone important, since even in this reduced ceremony the body is being accompanied by the king and queen. Twas of some estate, certainly. He tells Horatio that they will stand aside and observe what happens, couch we aside and mark. While his job of preparing the grave is probably done, the gravedigger probably stays on stage too, discreetly of course, since he will have to fill it in after the final obsequies. There's a good deal of drama that will happen before that, but we'll save all of that for the next episode. As always, thank you very much for tuning in, and do be sure to check the website, thehamletpodcast.com, for information and extra notes on everything from blank verse to Julius Caesar. Mind yourself, and I'll speak to you next time.